Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So I've had to fly out of town a couple of times uh, in the past week, and the last time I, I I was coming home, it was a late flight, and I'm tired, and I'm just looking forward to to seeing my beautiful bride, and I'm thinking that I'm going to have to take an Uber because it's late, and what to my wandering eyes do appear? Cat standing outside in the uh, transportation pickup area, holding up like one of those limo placards, and the name on it was... Senor Hot Buns. Welcome home, JG. <laughs> that was wonderful. I'm really glad that you liked it. I did utilize a half piece of poster board for it. So, Well, that's true. Anything I, that uh, you can do that's arts and craftsy. No, I was just saying you can tell how much I love you because I utilized a piece. <laughs> you wasted a piece of your poster board on me. <laughs> Speaking of artsy and craftsy, what are you going to do with all your art supplies before we leave? I'm hoping that you have to go to the airport again. No, I see. JK, we ain't got time for that. What do you uh, have for a story (laughs) today? Well, today I'm going to plunge into the spectral world of earthbound spirits. That, That feels right. Yeah. And just as the name implies, these are souls thought to be tethered to our terrestrial world, unable to cross over into the realm that we often refer to as the afterlife. Ghosts. Poltergeisties. But what are earthbound spirits? What keeps them from making that transition that follows death? Theories about... Turnstile. Yeah, wouldn't it be cool if the afterlife was a lot like uh, the movie Defending Your Life with uh, Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks, where you needed a tram pass to get through the turnstile? (laughs) I bring you seven pies. Anyway, there's a lot of theories, and they vary widely across cultures and beliefs, as one would expect. But several common threads do emerge. Some argue these souls are held back by unresolved issues. A life abruptly ended with loose ends that uh, tangle and bind them to where they are. Others suggest that there are just strong emotional attachments, whether it's love or hate, or even places. Um, In your last story, or or a recent story, you talked about an alleged ghost that didn't know that it was a ghosty. Yes. So that would be another reason, right? If you if you hadn't passed on or or Mm -hmm. moved whatever the terminology is, because you just didn't know. 
You just thought that people were being really rude to you. That's, it's very true. Why are you ignoring me? And what you're talking about are spirits that uh, are believed to be stuck due to a sudden or violent death. Their confusion and fear prevents them from moving on. Uh, or the transition was just so abrupt that they do not realize that they're dead. Like the sixth sense. Oops, spoiler alert, too late. <gasps> So as we dig into this territory of ghosts and hauntings, it's it's important to remember that these terms are often used interchangeably with earthbound spirits, but they paint a broader picture of the paranormal. Ghosts are, as we traditionally understand them anyway, are generally seen as echoes or imprints of the deceased, their energy in our realm. Hauntings are activities and phenomena attributed to these entities if we consider earthbound spirits under this type of framework, they represent a very specific type of haunting, one where the entity retains a higher level of consciousness and purpose, where there is an active desire or inability to cross over rather than just a mere echo. In other words, an intelligent haunting as opposed to a residual one. Oh, okay. So that's the difference. Yeah, that's the difference. We begin our journey in, yes, Salem, Massachusetts. If ever there was a place where there are going to be earthbound spirits, it would be Salem, Massachusetts. It's steeped in sorrow and fear. And molasses. Yes. Well, actually, that's South Boston. But yeah, the area certainly steeped in molasses. It's a callback to an earlier episode. Apologies for those of you who just joined us. We're going to the 17th century Ritter House. Um, it's owned now by a woman named Emily Carlson. Since moving in, Emily has encountered strange occurrences, whispers that echo through the hallways, objects found inexplicably displaced, and the spectral sight of a woman in colonial era clothing. <sighs> Do you want colonial era clothing? I thought you were going to say that it was haunted by John Ritter. John Ritter, I'm sure, has crossed over and has the highest throne in heaven. I love... Your never-ending, undying loyalty to John Ritter. Anyway, Emily believes that this spirit is that of Margaret Ritter, a woman who once called that house home during the time of the witch trials. She was wrongfully accused and executed. And Margaret's life was cut short in a whirlwind of fear and superstition, so certainly it would fit in with the type of environment that would encourage a spirit to become earthbound. But could her spirit really still reside within the walls? Paranormal investigator Andrew Fox confirms her suspicions. He did um, some investigations. He experienced uh, an EVP, an electronic voice phenomenon. Mm -hmm. It captured a woman's voice faintly whispering, not guilty. What? Not guilty. I said not guilty. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is Margaret... Seeking justice from beyond the grave, could her untimely death be the unresolved matter, keeping her spirit earthbound? I can think of no better reason. Um, I find this very interesting. Of course, I want to learn as much as I can about the Ritter House. So I pulled it up and I've been looking at, mm -hmm. at some of this information and it looks like they have the EVP available. Um, so I was hoping that oh. we might play that. Amazing. Let's do that. Is your Bluetooth on? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's convincing evidence. From Salem, we travel to the windswept beaches of Polly's Island, South Carolina. 
This coastal uh, town is said to be the domain of the Gray Man. Oh. The Gray Man, a phantom who appears to warn residents of impending hurricanes. That's oh, pretty nice of him. That is nice. I wonder if it's the earthbound spirit of a recently deceased meteorologist. Yeah. I picture him like a down east Mainer. He's got his gloshes on. Yeah. Storms are coming. She's brewing out oh, there. Oh, she's going to be a good one. It's a tough one out there. The she, she's angry. Oh, she's angry. Anyway, John Barker, a local resident, uh, is just one of many people who credit this spectral sentinel with saving their lives. He talks about walking on the beach one evening when he saw a figure, the gray man, his form indistinct, but somehow conveying an urgent message of danger. Stole him. Now, they knew a hurricane was coming, but they thought they had more time and they didn't think it would really affect where they were. But heeding the ghost's warning, John evacuated his family just before Hurricane Elsie bore down on the coast. When they returned, their home was completely destroyed. Oh, my gosh. But thanks to the gray man, they were safe. And that brings us to this next account, which in my mind is the most disturbing and tragic one. It's a piece of long ago childhood sorrow and an encounter that uh, it echoes in my head. It took place at the Stirling Orphanage in Liverpool, England. This is an old Victorian building, a grim edifice. It's from an era when children were often overlooked and their welfare was, in many cases, completely, completely neglected. Now, it's no longer an orphanage. Today, it's found a new life as an art studio. But according to Sarah Hughes, who is one of the resident artists, the echoes of its dark past can still be heard. Occasionally laughter, but more commonly sobs, footsteps, or sounds of ghostly children still seemingly playing in the hallways, their young lives cut short in a place that should have been their sanctuary. So she, she became intrigued as well as disturbed by these occurrences, and she invited renowned psychic medium Clara Morris to visit the studio. She should change her last name to Voyant. Clara's been featured in several publications, such as The Spiritualist, and has a reputation for a strong ability to communicate with those who have passed on. From the moment Clara stepped through the entrance, she said she was besieged with a flurry of ethereal whispers, each one a different voice, each one a different story. She spent hours inside the old orphanage, seemingly in deep conversation with unseen entities. Later, she recounted her conversations. One of the spirits Clara encountered was a little girl named Annie. She was seven years old and was from the late 1800s. She died from influenza within those cold walls of the orphanage. Annie's spirit was particularly heartbreaking. Uh, she held a deep longing for her mother, a bond that seemed to anchor her to the orphanage. She spoke of her dream to have become a schoolteacher, a dream she never had the chance to pursue. Another spirit, that of a boy named Thomas, told his tale of woe. He passed away due to malnutrition and neglect at the age of nine. This again was in the 1800s. His earthly life was characterized by hardship and mistreatment, but even in death, his spirit clung to the hope of a better tomorrow that has never come. He's still waiting, Clara said, for his older sister who had promised to come back and pick him up and take him away from that grim institution. Aww. 
Maybe one of those situations where he doesn't know he's dead yet. In the Sterling Orphanage, Clara encountered numerous child spirits. Each tale was sadder than the last. Stories of lost potential, of dreams left unfulfilled, fear, sorrow. These spirits, each one a tragic reflection of the institution's dark past, seem somehow, for some reason, whatever their reason is, bound to the orphanage by unfulfilled promises and cruel circumstances that, uh, that took their short lives. And that kind of sums up the whole picture of earthbound spirits, the Sterling Orphanage does for me anyway. Unresolved pain, unmet longing, the unyielding hope that somebody's coming to help them. Mm. So the question, of course, is, are these earthbound spirits truly echoes of lives unresolved, wandering our realm seeking for resolution, or are they just figments of our collective imagination? Born from our deep-seated fear of the unknown, and also the love of a good story. I find that, uh, and I've mentioned this before, you are getting flowerier and flowerier with your storytelling. And I think that for me, it's even more upsetting when the story is a sad one. Like flowery, just about lightning bolts or whatever, Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. But flowery regarding a child's death makes me feel real icky. (laughs) Well, I think you know where I, what side of the line I fall on with with this um i think it's very realistic to think that if there is an afterlife and i understand that's a big if for a lot of people katrina that a lot of people don't find their way across for whatever reason whether it's uh they don't know they're dead or whether they feel attached to a place or a time Mm. or a person for whatever reason i read a really interesting book about earthbound spirits a while back It's called When Ghosts Speak by Marianne Winkowski, and uh, she is a psychic medium, and that is her calling, she feels, is to find these earthbound spirits Mm. and help release them. Oh, like a ghost whisperer. Very much like a ghost whisperer. After we brought up Ghost Whisperer a few episodes ago, we had a lot of messages talking about how, oh my gosh, I used to love that show, or... I don't know how anyone watched that show. It was terrible. Jennifer Love Hewitt is the worst. Well, it was one extreme. It was a love or hate thing, for sure. It was heaven or hell. I've always liked Jennifer Love Hewitt. She reminds me a lot of my friend Stephanie. I've never had a problem with Jennifer Love Hewitt at all. Oh, that's good. Yeah. No, I... We get along (laughs) well. We got no beef. No. (laughs) I got no dog in that fight. (laughs) This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial 
money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle ah uh, incontinence it's a real drag and throughout history humans have tried to find ways to cure it the ancient romans got very creative and came to the conclusion that they could cure incontinence with the bladder of a hyena, a roasted seahorse, and boiled mice. Not sure in what combination, though. Robin from Pittsburgh writes to us, uh, I just experienced my first boo effect. My hubby and I were listening to the most recent episode, uh, episode 553, when you started talking about fringe and the eyeball pictures. Not only had I just watched Fringe only an hour before, but it was that exact episode. Whoa. Mind blown. <laughs> Love you guys. Always look forward to your new shenanigans. Never change. Stay weird. And let that freak flag fly proudly. Thanks, Robin. In Pittsburgh, where she's from, that's where my fabled encounter with Mr. Rogers took place at a giant eagle uh, shopping center. That's right. Yeah, grocery store where I helped Mr. Rogers shop for a bok choy. Apparently, he was, he was making pad thai. Laura sent us a message. I know you're aware that a lot of us listen to you guys as we go to sleep. I find it very helpful to have something interesting to listen to when my eyes are closed. So when I went to bed last night and I saw that there was a new box, I turned it on, I put my head on the pillow, and the last thing I remember was the world. And I was out. On the upside, I got a new episode to listen to today. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't get to the is full of stories part. Yeah. yeah, no, I've had days like that. Trust me. And a lot of them lately, it seems. 
Florin sent us a message. I just finished watching on Hulu a series called BuzzFeed Unsolved Season 1. I love that. Episode 3. That's a great show. Yeah. Those guys are funny. This one was titled Horrifying Cases of Ghosts and Demons. The second story is about the Doll Island. I first heard about it on your podcast years ago. Now I can put my imagination to rest of what that island looks like (laughs) and how it's decorated with dolls. Worth checking out because it is as creepy as your podcast stated. I saw that episode and I have seen pictures of uh, of Doll Island, and it is nightmare fuel. Mm-hmm. There's something about old, decapitated doll heads stuck on tree branches that, well, haunts me to the very depths of my soul. <laughs> Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If this podcast ever calls you on your cell phone, the caller ID will say, Scam Likely. You should answer anyway. This is The Box of Oddities. We've talked before about how for a a long time, salt was a form of payment. In fact, it's one Mm. of the world's oldest forms of payment. The word salary is derived from the Latin word for salt. I love stuff like that. Yeah. It was the main form of currency in the Sahara Desert during the Middle Ages, and it was used exclusively throughout East Africa. I would think in the Sahara Desert, water would be a more valuable commodity than salt. (laughs) And it was used extensively throughout East Africa. Typically, one would lick a salt block to make sure that it was real. Mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of like, you know, getting a pinky's worth of snuff to, you know, check on it. You know what I'm saying. Um, And then they would break off pieces of salt in order to make change. Okay. Hopefully they wouldn't break off a piece that they had already licked. 
So I got to thinking about what else that's not money Mm -hmm. has been used as currency. And it turns out a lot. Oh, interesting. Yeah. In Italy, Parmesan cheese has been used for financial operations since the Middle Ages. Really? The Credito Emiliano Bank has two climate-controlled warehouses that hold 440,000 wheels of cheese, with a total value of $187.5 million. How old is this cheese? (laughs) It's aged. That's crazy. But can you go with like a bank slip and take out cheese? Do they have a cheese ATM? Is it like a sprinkles ATM, but with cheese? I think it would be much easier to have a cheese ATM if instead of Parmesan, it was just slices of American cheese. It would come out of the machine smoother. Now I can't stop thinking about a cheese ATM. Like, I just need a cup of feta. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, machine. It just sounds great. Uh Tea as we know, has played a significant role in Chinese history. wasn't commonly used as currency, but for a certain period, tea did serve as a form of currency in specific regions of China. One notable instance occurred during the Tang Dynasty from 618 to 907 CE, when tea bricks were used as a medium of exchange along the ancient tea horse road. This was a trade route, and they, they figured, hey, they would just make compacted blocks of tea that could be broken into bits, kind of like a Hershey's bar. Uh-huh. So it was a durable means of transport, and they had standardized value. The bricks were used as a form of currency in certain contexts, but it's important to note that they weren't widely used. It wasn't like China issued blocks of tea as currency. I wonder what Tea Horse Road looked like. Horse Road. Oh. Tea Horse Road. Okay. Rang is a yarn ball made of turmeric spice wrapped in coconut fibers, and that was used for trade in the Solomon Islands. Keeping it going with food, cocoa beans. In 1555, there was an official exchange rate placed on cocoa beans that stated one Spanish reel of white cotton cloth was worth 140 cocoa beans. (laughs) I love this. I know. Who came up with that? Some guy in a back office with like an abacus and a quill pen figuring out how many. That bolt of cloth is worth 144 of those things. Whatever they are. Cocoa beans. Is that what you said? Cocoa beans? Mm -hmm. Okay. Cocoa beans. It's no cheese dispensing ATM. Still good. Yeah. In ancient Cameroon, potato mashers were known as bafia potato mashers, and they served a dual purpose. They were primarily used for mashing potatoes, but (laughs) interestingly, they also functioned as a form of currency. No, they didn't. Are you kidding me? They were not readily available in large quantities, which made them a valuable and sought-after item. As a result, they became a symbol of wealth and were used for trade and a measure of currency. That's fascinating. It's wonderful. A kitchen utensil was actually used as currency. To give you an idea of their value, acquiring a Bafian wife would typically cost around 30 potato mashers. 30 potato mashers? That seems steep. Medieval Europeans in modern-day Finland and Russia used red squirrel pelts as currency. A tikituri was 10 squirrel pelts. While values changed over time, at one point, a hundred squirrel pelts could get you a cow. 
Now, what did people, why did squirrel pelts have value? What were people using squirrel pelts for that drove up the cost? I don't know. In the squirrel pelt industry. I assume, it, I, I, I don't know, I picture like a squirrel pelt cape. Was that a thing? I don't know. I'd rather have a cow. It was noted in one of the articles that I read that they believe that certain parts of Russia were affected by the bubonic plague at a lesser rate because of this hunting of squirrels, so that hmm. there were fewer parasites available to infect people with the plague. Interesting. Because they killed so many squirrels. And they got a cow out of it, so that's good. The quasi-universal intergalactic denomination, or quid. It's a stackable molded chip made of the same material used in nonstick pans. And it was created to provide upcoming space travelers with money for their future trips. Wow. Quids were developed by the University of Leicester and the National Space Center of England for the foreign exchange business Travelex. And according to researchers, the payment methods that we have here on Earth currently wouldn't make viable space currency. So these quids are made without chemicals or sharpness that are inherent in a lot of current currencies. And one quid was valued at around 12 U.S. dollars in 2007. I wonder what the current exchange rate is. I'm curious. And I, I don't really understand how you can have an exchange rate if it's not currently being used. Like, people aren't going to space with it now. Mm, and, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. Raystones. Raystones were used as currency on the island of Yap in what is now the Federated State of Micronesia. Raystones were used around 500 years ago. They're not currently used, but they are still, um, but they do still retain historical and ceremonial importance. They keep them okay. around. What are raystones? Raystones are stones. They're big circular stones that kind of look like coins. Okay. But they could be as big as 12 feet in diameter and weigh up to eight tons. Well, stuff to get changed for that. Yeah. Wow. So they're not really used much mm. anymore. Okay. You can imagine, I don't like carrying cash at all these days. Right, It's yeah. just a hassle. <laughs> and I don't need a crowbar in order to do it. That's so. true. That's true. You can imagine why these lost their uh, appeal as far as currency. Knives. This, I think, is a great idea. Now, used throughout China around 600 BCE at the time of the Zhao Dynasty, the knives were inscribed to mark their value. Now, there's a story that says that a prince originally allowed this. Uh, they were The troops were allowed to use knives as currency, and it kind of caught on. The nice thing is it's it has a purpose outside of being currency. Yeah, I can see where there would be value in having a nice knife. It makes a lot of sense. And they have a loop with a little handle so that you can carry them around on your pocket. Ooh. You know, like like if you had a if we had a whoop, mm -hmm. a one a whoop on your pants, then you could just hang your knife on it. Nice. And then it's it, you can get a snack or you can stab someone. <laughs> Those are both good options to have. It just seems really smart. <laughs> dolphin and whale teeth. In the Solomon Islands, dolphin teeth have 
dolphin teeth have been used as currency. The island has a long history of hunting dolphins. It's not great. Um, but, but as a result of the devaluation of the country's dollar, some parts of the island uh, went back to the traditional use of dolphins' teeth as currency after they had been using other currency for a while. Wow. So they were like, eh, this isn't working. Back to the dolphin teeth. In the Fijian Islands, or I guess it's Fijian Islands, I feel like it sounds more accurate with Fijian, but I looked it up earlier and it said Fijian. Okay. I still feel like Fijian sounds better, but I respect you people from Fiji and whatever you want to be called, I guess. Either way, whale's teeth were used as a form of currency up until the 20th century to purchase anything from land to a hit on a rival chieftain. But the interesting thing is that the size of the whale's tooth determined how valuable it was. Sure. Which I think is really fun. <clears throat> I mean, I don't agree with stealing whale's teeth. They should get to keep them. But um, <laughs> I do think it's neat to be like, oh, this whale's tooth is very heavy. I have so much. I could put out a hit on a really important guy with this. Right? So it's kind of the same as a knife. I guess. Though we did talk about things that weren't like dollar dollar bills, y'all, um, during this list. I thought this was really fun and I wanted to include it. So in 1997, following the defeat of Joseph Mobutu's regime in what was known as Zaire, it's now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the new government faced a challenging situation. So they needed money, but the existing banknotes featured images of Mobutu and they didn't you know, they right. didn't want that. Yeah. It just doesn't feel great. Mm -mm. So to address this issue temporarily, they just got a hole punch that was just the size of his head. <laughs> and it, they brought in all the money, popped his head out, yeah. and then redistributed the money. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I love it. I love that idea. It's so resourceful. It's like it's reduce, reuse, recycle to the utmost. Sure, sure. Maybe they could have modge podged it or just put little adhesive mustaches over his face. <laughs> it just left this headless figure until they were able to put new bills into circulation that, that didn't originally <laughs> contain his face. Mm. What's interesting is these modified bills have become collector's items. I'll bet. And they can still be found for sale on online auctions and such, fetching higher prices than the original value in 1997. Interesting. So cool. I mean, who cares? Yeah, right. Not me. No, you're not interested in collecting money. I got my information from CNBC, Remitly, Cobalt, The Fact Site, Finance Wand, and Vox. Speaking of uh, collecting coins, I don't know if we talked about this, but we have mentioned that, you know, you have a rather impressive collection of coins. And I used to collect coins and I, I love coins and the history of coins. And so I, often I will just kind of go through your collection, but we got an app recently where you can just scan it and it tells you what the coins are worth. Yeah. We sat there one night for like five hours just going through your wheat back pennies. My back was so sore the next day and that's how I know I'm old because <laughs> my back was sore from looking at coins. <laughs> I love that about you. And we love hanging out with you guys. And we look forward to uh, doing just that next time. And until then... Keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. 
and its fate is in your hands. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2023 All rights reserved If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.